Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband, Peter Richards. Now, a little known fact about us is that we're both Pisces. We're also both masters of wine, which should help you get a visual of us, like little fish swimming in a huge sea of wine. Why <laughs> do you like that? <laughs> I, I was really starting to wonder where you were going with that one. It's kind of slightly hard to follow with a straight face. Maybe that's the point, but... Um, do you remember someone famous did say to us once that we were a lovely, the loveliest couple she'd ever met? She said we were absolutely perfect together. And then she asked us what star sign we were, and we said we were Pisces. And she said, right, that's it, you're doomed. Do you she was that? probably right. Well, you know, I, I think she overlooked one important fact, and that was that the communal liquid we have, you know, together, we're swimming in, is of course wine, which, which does nothing better than bring people together and make for very, very long-lasting relationships. In my, um, that is my professional marriage counsellor view, if, if that's fair enough. Thank you, I'll take it, I'll okay. take it. Is any of this making any sense? Not really, okay. now. Uh, I think we should get on with this very <laughs> exciting moment, because this is our second <laughs> ever podcast episode. Yeah. We still have low production values. Um, that would be me. Uh, whew, I think it's, it's everything, but, uh, but high-value content. And this is a really fun one because we wanted to look into a question that we're often asked by people with astonished faces when they say, wait, wine can be a career? Yeah, most people, especially young people, don't really see wine as a potential career option, do they? I suppose it's sensible. It's hardly something they, they really rush to push in your path at the careers sort of office or, or at school or university. But of course, it is a valid option, and not just in a traditional wine-producing country either, but also in places where wine is, is a business, where it's bought and sold, which is many, many countries all around the world, particularly big markets like the UK and the US. Yeah, I mean, the WSTA, for example, estimates that the UK wine and spirit industry employs around 358,000 people across the supply chain, with sales get this, worth £22 billion. Pounds. Mm, good facts and figures. Good facts, isn't nice. it? I like my facts. <laughs> and then there are the growing number, obviously, of jobs on the production side as mm. English and Welsh wine becomes more and more successful. Yes. So we, obviously as well, can testify personally that wine does make a fantastic career option. And, you know, another way um, in which you can get into wine, a great, great way to get into wine? No. This podcast. Genius. This is true. Who knows where listening to this podcast might lead? Uh, I suppose bottom of a wine glass might be one potential destination. It is, but may I suggest it may also change your career and your life. So listen up and like, rate, subscribe at the same time, please. Because we're going to be talking to some young people today who have unexpectedly made wine their career and are doing it brilliantly. Mm. And also one person who made it their second career, very successfully switching from high finance to making delicious English sparkling wine. Now there's a constructive move, if ever there was one. As ever, we'll be having a lively discussion about all of this before adjourning to the dinner table. Um, now, given this episode has a focus on younger people, um, we'll be cooking up some student classic. Is that all right with you? Uh, absolutely. I'm right right there with student classics. Slightly out of your comfort zone. Not it? at all. Not at all. <laughs> your posh, I have children. Kind of highfalutin. Uh, <laughs> I could do know. student I'm not classics. complaining. I'm Josh. not complaining. Sorry, shut up. Okay, uh, what else? So, what are we cooking? What are we cooking? Are we cooking? Uh, so we're super me? simple. 
and actually really delicious homemade pizza. Um, and also because we wanted to over deliver in this episode, um, we're, we're doing another dish, a fantastic spicy sausage pasta inspired by the great Jamie Oliver. Oh, gotta love Jamie. Mm. And to drink with this, we've lined up a selection of Aldi wines to suit any student budget. And we're hoping to find the odd bargain or two to recommend to you. After all that, we'll be delivering a two-minute blast of high-intensity wine education when our A to Z of wine hits B for biodynamics. To wrap things up, we have a reader question from Warren about how to tell if a wine is corked. All this and more, including, we have to say, the brilliant music, courtesy of the outrageously talented Marsicans in the time it takes to polish off a bottle of Argentinian Malbec. So, let's get going. First up, I spoke with Zoe Driver, who in 2016 became the first UK winemaking apprentice, a scheme set up by the Vintners Company and the Hattingley Valley Winery in Hampshire to encourage young talent to get involved in English wine. Zoe has since moved on to another Hampshire producer, Black Chalk, co-founded by winemaker Jacob Ledley, who we'll also hear from later, where she is now the assistant winemaker. I started by asking her if wine had ever been part of her career plan. Absolutely not. Um, I don't have any background in wine at all. Um, and I grew up in North London, so not many vineyards around there. Um, and my mum and dad... It's not one, isn't it? Yeah, no. <laughs> at the time, it was, you know, my mum and dad didn't really drink wine and I'd never been to any vineyards or anything like that. So it was definitely... I didn't even know it was a thing in this country at all. Um, so it's... Yeah, this career has come as a bit of a surprise to me, to be honest. Um, but I'm very glad that it's and, happened. And when did it? When did the idea of wine first um, take hold? Um, when I finished university, which was nothing to do with wine, um, I took a couple of years to travel, um, and I was in Australia, uh, completely run out of money, so I had to get a job. Um, and I worked front of house for Domaine Chandon. And okay, so sparkling wine. Yeah, it was in the Yarra. In the Yarra, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and really enjoyed it. But I saw some of the guys working in the winery, and I thought actually that looks really cool, really interesting. Um, so I asked if I could, you know, maybe help them out, and they, that's when they offered me to work the 2015 harvest. Um, completely fell in love with it, which I didn't expect to happen at all. Um, it's it was so alien to anything I'd ever done. But I'm so glad that. It's worked so, out. Like so you, you were at Chandon for just that one one half. Yeah, so I was there for six months all in all, um, and then came back to the UK a, a few months later, um, and then kind of put the idea of working in wine out of my head because I I just didn't think it was a thing in the UK. I mean, I knew there were a few vineyards, um, but I just assumed most of them would be family run or would be too small to you know want to hire anybody. Um, so. Yeah, I tried a few sort of normal office jobs um, for a few months. So I think I worked at I did events, I worked as a travel agent, I did various things, but I hated it all. Um, and that's when I realised, actually, I do need to try and find a way of somehow working. Working in wine. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And and so when did the, the uh, tell us about the Hattingley, presumably Hattingley came along next. Yes, so I saw um, the advert for the... Um, the first UK winemaking apprentice role at Hattingley and initially I wasn't going to apply because I just didn't think that I would be hired I didn't have I just didn't think I had enough experience or enough knowledge 
Um, but in the end, I thought, no, just go for it. What's the worst that you know, can happen? Um, and went along for an interview, um, which I can't remember now because I'm so nervous, but it must have gone okay because, um, yeah, I was offered the position, which was just brilliant. Um, it was everything that... I could have wanted in terms of it was a full time job in a winery, you know, learning making sparkling everything. wine, yeah, actually, making sparkling which you've wine. obviously done in, yeah. in Australia. Um, but at the same time, you know, going out to do some education, uh, doing my WSUTs, getting my forklift license, all that kind of thing. Um, it was a dream, pretty much, you know, to get that um, apprenticeship. Um, and so now at Blackshot, what's your role here? So this is another Hampshire winery yes. making sparkling wine yeah. uh, with Jacob Ledley. Uh-huh. Um, and what, what's your role here? So I'm the assistant winemaker here. Um, it's a lot smaller than Hattingley. Um, it's um, very much in its infancy. So the winery is currently being built. We can, we can see the winery outside, <laughs> uh, just outside the door being built. Yeah, it's um, a skeleton at the it moment. Is. Um, so we don't actually have a winery yet. Um, but what's really nice about sort of being here from the beginning is... Um, I think it's probably quite a rare opportunity to be able to be part of something so young. And, you know, I get the opportunity to kind of grow alongside the project itself. And which probably is, has some sort of influence in yeah, it as well. Um, yeah, which it's it's brilliant. I think um, I've sort of taken on a bit more responsibility um, and Jacob's quite keen on me having my own kind of passion project here. Um, so, yeah, I get to be a bit more creative, which is really cool. Make your own wine. Yeah, make, make my own wine, which is bit nerve-wracking but you know <laughs> um, so if you were if you were to give advice now to um to a person at school mm-hmm. or university who maybe had never thought of wine mm. as a career or, or just listening to this and thinking oh my goodness that's something I'd quite like to do what what would your advice be I would highly recommend anybody um even if it's you haven't even you know thought even if you don't like wine I would highly recommend doing a harvest somewhere doesn't even have to be in the UK anywhere um maybe because, somewhere warmer yeah yeah why not <laughs> so many places you can choose um because it's so much fun and you really will learn so much about yourself and about uh, maybe an industry you'd like to be in um I can't express enough what it's the best thing I've ever done and I am not somebody that I think you would initially think, oh, I can imagine her in wine. It's not, I just, I don't think I'm the usual type, but then I, that's what I think is so great about it. I don't think there is a type. I think you can be any sort of person. Um, and if you've got some passion, you're a bit creative and um, you want to really enjoy your job, and then I I just... So you start with, start with a harvest. Yes, yeah, start with a harvest, see how you get on with it. Um, and from there, just keep drinking wine travel to wine regions um try and get a position somewhere and learn as much as you can yeah and one day you might be making your own maybe wine. yes yeah black chalk where zoe works is a relatively recent addition to the exciting english wine scene it was co-founded by winemaker jacob ledley for whom wine wasn't a first career but a second. Jacob was in finance before making a life-changing decision to study winemaking at Plumpton College, but it hasn't all been plain sailing. My first career um, started back in 2002 um, when I got a job with Barclays Bank um, and then I quickly sort of shifted through lots of different banks and ended up in Canary Wharf in London um, working um, in investment banking which at the time in my 20s was was great. I was living in London and was lots of fun, but quickly it's kind of lost its appeal, lots and lots of long hours, and, and it wasn't really all that 
creative or, or I, I, I just didn't feel very passionate about it. Um, and I took a sabbatical with my now wife. Um, we traveled around the world and on that trip through lots and lots of different countries, I started discovering wine and central Otago um, was the place that really, really grabbed my attention. And I have to admit, we fell in love with the romantic side of wine. Well, you have to um, if, you're, if you're with your future wife, don't y- you? Yes. Yeah. And it was, it, you know, I, I often tell a, a very uh, romantic story about it, which is sitting on the banks of Lake Wanaka with a bottle of Pinot Noir and some Pinot Noir soaked cheese from, from a winery over there. And we said, wouldn't it be wonderful to be doing this rather than, you know, our, our day jobs. It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? You know, you're in banking, your wife's got a, a decent job, you've got financial security. I mean, nobody's going to say moving into wine is going to give you financial security. No, I definitely got some funny looks from the family. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody was very supportive, but you could kind of see behind the, the smiles was, is this guy slightly mad? Um, we both quit our jobs on the same day. We sold up in London. We started a family and I went to Plumpton to study um, viticulture and enology in 2009, started in September. Um, but yeah, it, it felt from day one like a real adventure. And if you had any, just, just finally, one little bit of advice for, for somebody at school now or at university thinking, I'd like to go into wine, what would you say to them? Go and get some formal education in wine, get the theory, get the background, but try and complement it with some practical experience because they are very, very different things, but you need them both to make a real success of a career. Jacob Ledley from Black Chalk there. One thing that keeps coming up when discussing how wine can become a career is the importance of education. The Wine and Spirit Education Trust, or WSET, is one of the best-known wine education providers, with courses run all around the world and qualifications globally respected. Plumpton College is where aspiring winemakers and other wine professionals go to learn their craft in the UK. And it's also where our next interviewee learnt the ropes too. In early 2020, Amika Zago became the first Head Start Apprentice at Holgarten and Novum Wines, a respected wine importer. I asked her why she went to Plumpton in the first place. My dad's Italian, so I was brought up in kind of drinking family where my dad has opens wine every evening with meals and he also has made wine every year. Okay, whereabouts? Uh, in my garage <laughs> with plastic barrels. And just, so let's talk about the terroir. Where is the garage? Um, in Hertfordshire. And I've made it ever since I can remember, probably since I was about three, I've been helping out with that. You've been and helping out with tra- My English grandma great. helps as well. So there's <laughs> us three in the garage. People walking down the street always find it a little bit strange seeing us making wine. But it's great fun. I've grown up loving wine and hated my A-levels and looked up wine degree as a joke. Just started looking at university degrees, didn't fancy anything and thought, what am I interested in? The only thing I could really think of was wine. So I looked up wine degree and I knew that somewhere where my dad's from in Italy, near Veneto, in the Veneto region, they have a university for wine, but it's viticulture side. And I knew that I, because I make it as a hobby, I like, I'd like to keep that as a hobby and take that on as a tradition and family, but not to go into the job. 
So I really wanted the business side and found Plumpton College and applied when I was 17. So underage student <laughs> applying. <laughs> Illegal is, uh, drinking age. Yeah. But, but you applied and we, you, were, you were excited when you, when you found, found that option. Yes. But yeah. Did, was it quite hard to find? Did you not know it was something you could do in the UK? I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. And I didn't even really even think of it as a career afterwards when I applied for it because I found it one day and applied for it that day. <laughs> so I wasn't really thinking ahead. And my dad was so happy at the fact that really? I'd found wine <laughs> degree. Um, and how, how was Plumpton? Um, it was great. I loved the lectures and it made me really want to go into the wine trade. I absolutely loved it. It's, it was strange because it's not a normal university setting. You're in the middle of a countryside. It's a college. Um, you you study, but during your studies, you get given wine that you have to taste. And you never, <laughs> at 17, when you apply for university, you never think, oh, I'm going to be sitting in lectures, drinking wine, <laughs> tasting. Just going back to, to when you started looking for a job, did you find it quite difficult? Yes. Yes, I didn't really find anything around for someone of my sort of level. Mm, given you'd studied it. Yeah. Uh, or or lots of jobs wanted a sales rep straight away and higher jobs, which I, I didn't really apply for because I knew that I wanted to sort of see the trade a little bit beforehand, which is why this Head Start programme is great because I'm going through all departments and I don't fully know which side I want to be in. I think sales, but I didn't want to go into that job and then two months down the line think, oh, this really isn't for me. Working with Hallgarten through the internship and now through the Head Start has really shown me that the wine trade is definitely where I want to be and it's a great industry to be in. You can find more details of the Head Start apprenticeship on Hallgarten and Novum's website. Finally, we wanted to get a perspective from someone more in our sector of the trade. Wine writing, always a popular career, if you can get it. And I spoke to Georgina Hindle, France editor at Decanter, and asked her how she got involved in wine. I was very lucky, I'd say. So I was accepted onto the graduate scheme at what was IPC Media. So it's the same brand that TI became. Uh, that has Decanter, Marie Claire, NME, Horse and Hound, all those things. So I did the 18-month graduate scheme. It's one of only two people. And I did my stints uh, six months on three brands, unrelated to wine. I did fashion, lifestyle, TV. And they like to place you in a job as much as possible once you finish the grad scheme. And I didn't have anything to go to. There wasn't anything around. And the girl in HR said, oh, you know, there's a job going at Decanter. And at the time, I was like, oh, really? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, I was kind of into fashion and maybe something a bit more exciting, you know, red carpets, all that stuff. Wine really boring. Well, I just thought, you know, to kind of, it's, it's a bit of an old guy's game and I really didn't know much about wine and, you know, I How just old were you at this stage? So I was, what would I have been, 22? Something like that. And then after a few months, they said, you know, the job's still going. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, fine. I'll, you know, fine. So uh, I went and I had the interview and I thought, oh, okay, this sounds quite cool. The team looks quite cool. And I, you know, met the MD at the time 
and had a bit of a grilling interview, which was kind of nerve wracking because I didn't, I didn't know that much about wine. But in the end, somehow I got accepted and I became the deputy editor online. And honestly, within maybe a week, <laughs> I was hooked, absolutely hooked. Do you think there is a sacrifice that you make when you enter the wine world as a, as a career, uh, which is sacrificing a certain degree of financial stability for a lifestyle? Yes, probably. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say that maybe you're not going to get the six-figure salaries happening all over the place. But no, it's I think it's a labor of love and it's a passionate career that you can feel really involved in. Mm. And obviously the perks are drinking incredible wines, having incredible food, you know, lots of them come with dinners and being able to visit these beautiful properties around the world. So is it worth it, do you think? Is that oh, absolutely. God, no. Of course it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. And you don't even really think about the financial side of things too much. You know, as much as possible. Obviously, everyone has to work and earn a living. And not everyone will be able to join the wine world, I don't think. It, it is a small industry. There aren't hundreds of jobs going for every person that wants to join. Uh, that's not to say it's impossible, but... You know, I think you do feel quite privileged when you're at this level um, in the industry. So some fascinating views and stories there. And the truth is that wine really can be a viable career, can't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, also what, what you've got to remember with the wine industry is there's just so many different jobs. You know, we're not talking mm. about one job, are we? We're talking about everything from, you know, winemaking, being a, that's a viticulturist or a winemaker. Yeah. Um, it could be somebody who sells wine. It can be somebody who writes about wine. It can be somebody who owns a whole vineyard and winery. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many different aspects to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that there are some caveats though, aren't there? I think it's not a massive trade. Uh, the pay doesn't tend to be amazing in wine, as some of our interviewees have pointed no, out. I think very few people. Yeah, it's, it's not a career. It's not a. It doesn't tend to be an industry where you do make oodles of cash. No, and equally, it's not. Doesn't tend to be a sector or an industry where people say to you from the start, "Have you considered this?" You know, I had a mate at school who, who when he did those multiple choice things, he got what for careers. Went for careers. This is when we were about sixteen or seventeen. He got. Uh, air traffic controller and wine merchant. And we all worried about him. <laughs> just, it's not something that, that comes up, but actually what we're saying is... Those two really, things don't... I'm sorry, they don't <laughs> go know, together. That's a psychology podcast by itself. Isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, we don't tend to think of this as a viable career. And it is, and as you say, across so many different sectors. I mean, we got some figures from Wine GB. They say, and this is just about wine production in the UK. So in the UK. English wine and Welsh production. wine. People making English and Welsh wine. Apparently about 2,500 people work in wine production in the UK at the moment. But that's expected to increase to about 30,000 by 2040. Now, that's a big if. But, you know, 30,000 people just on the production of wine. This isn't anything to do with the 385,000 we've talked about before involved in wine and spirits distribution and sales in the UK. Mm. Um, and I think we, we did a bit of research, didn't we, about salaries? We and you've did. you've got some figures there. Yeah, we've got some figures. So this is salaries to do with English wine production, isn't it? English wine production. So you could start... Um, you're looking at about 18 grand, so, so quite a minimum minimum wage. But if you move up to an assistant winemaker, that does start to go up. So you're looking at 22 to 30 grand for an assistant winemaker. You've got a viticulturist 
30 to 45, but then your winemaker can be earning anything from 35 to 60 grand. I think it'd be quite interesting to discuss how we got into the wine world as well, because, you know, we talked to Jacob, uh, for him it was a second career. And I think we, 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 yes, we we focus quite rightly on young people coming into wine, but actually we need to think as well about second careers and even third careers, fourth careers. Mm. Wine's quite often, there's a lot of refugees from other professions in wine, aren't there? Well, I think going back to what what you've said already, that, you know, often people don't consider it because it's not something that tends to come up in a, in a career First off. lesson but no and mine was definitely a second career absolutely 100% I'd always liked wine um, I'd been brought up in uh, in pubs and hotels so so I, that sort of catering world was something I was very familiar with but I went off and, and became an actress you know so I did that I studied in London and um, and became an actress and, and did that for 10 years I mean essentially I didn't work enough as an actress and I thought I want to study something now lots of my actressy friends would have done something like beauty therapy or those kind of things and I knew I liked food and wine so I thought right okay I'll go to an evening class at Lewisham College and uh, and do a, my certificate in wine I, you know I looked at what you could do and there was a, a certificate in wine and so I did that and um and that just one thing led to another and I did the certificate I carried on and studied and studied uh, I then won a prize to go to Champagne with for one of the qualifications that I got I can't remember maybe it was maybe it was the diploma went to Champagne and um, came back and, and contacted one of the magazines and said, can I write about it for you? And amazingly, the lovely Chris Losh said, yes, I could. And uh, and so that was when I started writing about Thank you, Chris wine. Losh. But what about, uh, I, I thought Oz was part of your story. Oz, the famous Oz Clark, Oz. TV's Oz Clark. <laughs> Oz is slightly part of my story. So going back, just to flipping back a little bit, I was in pantomime in Oxford playing Dandini, uh, slapping my thigh. <laughs> and, uh, I, think, and I think we might be able to find it image of this for the website I think I might have to do it I think I've got one I seriously hope not (laughs) but um but we were in Oxford doing Oxford Playhouse and we were rehearsing actually at the time and uh, we had a night off and um I and a friend uh, who was playing Cinderella funnily enough uh, went to a wine tasting and Oz was hosting this wine tasting and we just had great fun and at the end I thought do you know what this is what I want to do so thank you Oz Clark too Uh, and from my perspective I was you know I just wanted to be a writer I wanted to be a journalist and when I graduated I'd already lived in Spain I'd studied languages I'd lived in Spain and Peru so I I thought where should I go Chile sounds fun so I went to Chile to to learn to be a journalist there worked for an English language news service called Chip News under a lovely guy called Steve Anderson who sadly has since died Um, but he taught me the ropes Um, he was pretty cantankerous but he, he was a great teacher so I learned to be a writer first and foremost. Um, but he also liked his wine and he saw that I was going off on the weekends when I didn't have any friends, going off to the wineries. And he said, you know, he probably worried about my drinking habits. But at the same time, he said, why don't you write me a tourist guide to visiting the wineries? So I said, uh, it's one of those moments in life. That is a life. dream job, isn't it? You don't say no. Um, and that was where it started. <laughs> you didn't. Came back, worked for Justinian Brooks. Uh, as a wine merchant, learned that side of the job and then won a prize. So again, winning prizes, entering prizes, that's something we mm. both have in common. And uh, and then studied Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And this is another thing um, that we both have in common. And I think really comes through in our interviews, the importance of education. So whatever it is, just starting, showing initiative, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust is one of the biggest, uh, most globally recognised providers of, 
of wine education. Uh, over 100,000 people did a WSET course this year. Uh, it's lot, amazing. It? Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's very well recognised. And then we've got Plumpton as well, which Plumpton is an amazing the college down in Indeed. the south of England. And there's um, others. Obviously, you, can, you know, if you carry on, you can do the Master of Wine, which we'd heartily recommend. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think what Jacob says about that mixing um, education with some practical experience, because even if you go and become a seller hand and work a vintage, it doesn't mean you can't then go and become a wine merchant. It just means you know about the business and the industry and you get some hands-on experience and do you know what <sighs> what talking makes me hungry i was thinking that myself mm. yeah time for something to eat and drink i think so let's do it fantastic Yes, this is where we get eating and drinking. And given the focus on young people in this episode, we've gone for some student-type dishes. Pizza and pasta, of course. Usually, the plan is for us to do a sort of head-to-head, with each of us choosing a favourite wine. But this time, we decided to line up a range of wines and just jump in and see what happens. As ever, apologies for the clanking cutlery and other mealtime noises. So in front of us, we have a homemade pizza. I say homemade, it's not entirely. We've got a a puff pastry base. What do you mean not entirely? I think it's pretty homemade. It's close to homemade as pizza gets. I buy the puff pastry and then stuck some ready-made tomato, uh, pasta tomato sauce, and then some mozzarella on top of it. But it's lovely. Um, And we've also got, uh, we've got two dishes. We've got a spicy sausage pasta made with some chorizo sausages and tomato. And it is quite spicy as well, isn't it? I've just had a little sneak... I'll be honest, before before I, I, before we really tucked in, I had a sneaky <laughs> taste. It's pretty spicy, but it's good. Oh, we love yeah. that dish, don't we? Which is good because we've got two very different, um, in, in some ways mm. similar because they've got tomato, but but very different in the sense of spicy pasta and very mild um, pizza. To compliment them, we've got a lineup of wines as well. Now, we've shot Aldi. We, we wanted to choose a range of, of styles and prices. Uh, we've got two Italians, a Primitivo at four ninety nine, which is our cheapest wine. And at the other end of the spectrum, we've got a Valpolicella Ripasso at seven ninety nine, both from Italy. So nothing crazy expensive, just, no, just a, a mix of... Um, it depends what you mean by expensive. Yeah, that's true. You know, four ninety nine is really, really um, uh, cheap. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty honest, good value, isn't it? These days for yeah. wine. Um, uh, and then in the middle of those two, we've got an organic Malbec from Argentina and a Baron Amarillo Old Vine Red from Spain. And both of those are six ninety nine, so they sit in the middle of the other two. So um, now we did we did try the wines beforehand, didn't we? And and yeah. um, we'll be honest, um, you know they were okay. The Valpolicella at seven ninety nine, we expected a bit more of, didn't mm. we? So we're really hoping it shines it was a with the bit food. Disappointing, wasn't Sometimes it? Sometimes wines go better yeah. with food than on their own. They don't they? That's that's true. You can taste the wine; it can be boring. We've often found that the as mm. we know the simplest wines just sit really nicely with food because mm. they're not trying to battle with the food you know they, they work really well I'm, I'm going in for the organic malbec organic malbec mm. like that it's a nice pretty bottle as well isn't it i have to say i've just tried that one um with the pizza and that is delicious the the, the malbec nice. itself it's a lovely juicy friendly yeah. upbeat style and the way that argentina is making its malbec these days is yeah. less ripe and heavy and it's, it's absolutely delicious delicious um with, easy with that pizza. Drink. that's a tuesday night wine isn't it not a Wednesday night. <laughs> Definitely Tuesday. Definitely specific. Tuesday. Wine oh my goodness, that's a Tuesday night wine. It's a delicious wine. It's, it's fun. Mm. I'm still disappointed by the Valpolicella. Mm. I don't think that, you know, it's not living up to its billing at seven ninety nine. I put a lot no. by price, obviously. And can I tell you a well, secret? Well, often, go on, go on. That Spanish wine. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Is revolting. <laughs> well, revolting is a hard word. It, 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 it's harsh, but... It's, it's, it's pretty harsh. 
it's I think really it's fine. No, it's eighty-year-old old vines, is what it says in the label. I want those old vines to sing to me. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? It might be. It might be. I think that they've had their, their singing days are over. <laughs> well, um, but you know, but what just, I was it's sort of oak, would, oaky and, and 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 dull, and and then you put it with the food. Yeah. And it gets even worse. Well, I, I I don't agree. I think it I think it's okay. What I would argue with is the weight of the bottle. It's a really big, heavy bottle. We don't need that these days. You know, we want packaging mm. that is more environmentally friendly, and that means you don't want to be shipping around the world heavy bottles. Yeah. So if you don't like the flavour, I don't like the bottle. <laughs> it, it's a no no, isn't it? Really? Well, I wouldn't recommend it. I think no. it's so. Um... No. But in terms of it with the, mm. so then we've got our pasta, which I do think, you know, you've got to find a wine that works with a certain spiciness. So in terms of spice, we're talking here, some chorizo style sausages mm. that have been chopped up to make this pasta sauce and some chili in there. So you've really got to get something that works with, with spice. Yeah. And you've got the tanginess of the tomato. So you need some mm. fresh acidity as well. Yeah. Funny enough, that Primitivo, it's quite rich, isn't it? But it's got the acidity but you need. that's classic Italian, isn't it? Italian mm. wines, Italian reds are known for their acidity, wherever they come from. Even in the, the hottest, sunniest, most beautiful holiday locations, they're still, they've still got that acidity. And that is what is making that Primitivo work. I think that's a stonking wine, I really do. Four ninety nine. Mm. it looks good, it tastes good. Who wouldn't want to buy that? Mm, no, I, I agree. And I think it's rare that we would we would go really for a four ninety nine wine, but that's. A good speak one. for yourself. You, you know, you, <laughs> you, you, you've got standards and you've got a price. You know, you're not a cheap date. But are we both saying the same thing? So we think with the pizza, the Malbec works really well. The Malbec works really nicely. So Argentinian Malbec. But that Primitivo, four ninety nine, cheapest wine on the table. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a blockbuster here it's with that sausage pasta, isn't it? Fabulous. There we go. Bingo. What do they say? How do they say bingo in Italian? Got no idea. Bingo. <laughs> to clear one thing up straight away, I got it all wrong. Apparently, the Italian for bingo is bingo. <laughs> it's not bingo. All right. So I don't know how I could have made that such is a shocking. massive what a mistake. Massive mistake. I'm sure Peter we learned Richards. that somewhere in the Master of Wine program. I'd like to personally apologise to my family, so to all bingo players out there. You know, anyone. Anyway, else to get back down. to business, uh, wasn't it nice to see <laughs> the cheapest wine on the table, all of four ninety nine, as the star of the show? Yeah, it's fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, yes, it's a richer style, quite lush, but it's a real. Crowd pleaser, mm. and what's wrong with that? It's great value, yeah. delicious with the sausage pasta as well. Frankly, yeah, it was amazing with the food. I mean, let's also say there were a few duds in there. Uh, it's important there to were, say that. Oh, yeah. You know, we are not. It's really important to say we're not enthusiastic about every wine we try, even though sometimes we give the impression of because we tend to fil- you know filter select. and we tend to select the ones we're positive about to, to recommend. But you know, it's great to find a good organic Malbec, isn't it? And, yeah, and that was lovely. And yeah. what I personally like was getting a little step closer to understanding your definition of a Tuesday night wine. It's it's like it's like the the mysteries. It's the Bermuda Triangle of my life. Mm. What what is what Susie's goes, what Tuesday goes on in my wine? head? Mm. So as ever, you will find the recipe and wine details plus the odd photo and uh, on our website, which is www.susieandpeter.com, and they are in the show notes with links via Insta and Twitter. And now it's time for the A to Z of wine. 
So, welcome back to our short, sharp blast of wine basics, decoding wine speak and providing food for thought along the way. After A is for alcohol, we're on to B for biodynamics. Now, this is a big old topic that can be both mystifying and magical, as well as fiercely contentious. So here goes. Biodynamics is a farming methodology that's like an extension or an extreme version of organics. Think of it this way. If conventional agriculture is pop music, then organics is blues, and biodynamics is pretty funky jazz. Biodynamics is based on the theories of Rudolf Steiner, an Austrian philosopher. It doesn't just promote biodiversity and avoid synthetic pesticides, herbicides, fertilisers and fungicides. It goes further by aiming to make the vineyard or farm a self-sustaining organism with animals particularly cows, an integral part of the farming system. The idea is also to work according to natural rhythms from those of the moon to the sun, stars and earth. Homeopathic principles are also used. For example, treatments for the vines are made by burying cow horns filled with herbs or manure over winter. Then the contents are removed and dynamised or stirred into water before being sprayed onto the vines or soil to prevent disease and keep the plants healthy. Biodynamic winemakers also follow certain practices in the winery, for example, only allowing natural yeast to carry out fermentation rather than adding cultured yeast in powdered form. And some producers also bottle their wine according to the position of the waxing or waning moon. But does any of this make the wine better? Particularly since biodynamic wines tend to be more expensive given it's more labour intensive and the vines are often lower yielding. It's hard to know. Anecdotally, biodynamic wines can seem to have a certain energy and brightness to them. And a 2016 US paper focusing on California found that certified organic and biodynamic wines were associated with a statistically significant increase in wine quality rating. So there could be something in it. Biodynamic farming certainly seems to be better for the environment. Studies suggest soil microbial life and vine root health are improved with biodynamics. According to a report from the journal Biological Conservation, the world is facing what it describes as a catastrophic collapse of natural ecosystems, with insects vanishing from our planet by 2.5% every year, which means in 100 years they could all be gone. Any farming method that promotes biodiversity and moves away from intensive conventional agriculture is surely a step in the right direction. It could also be better for us. Another quite recent study from the US found traces of glyphosate, a weed-killing chemical, in 19 out of 20 samples of wine and beer that were analysed. Although the levels were below what was termed the accepted threshold in many samples, it's still hardly a reassuring thought. Now, it's easy to be sceptical about biodynamics, but some of the world's greatest wines are made using this farming method, from Domaine Lefleve and Loire in Burgundy, to Reineke in South Africa, Felton Road in New Zealand, Senya in Chile and Cullen in Australia. There are more than 600 wineries with biodynamic certification in the world, and we even have some here in the UK. Mm. Organic and biodynamic vineyards only account for around 4 to 5% of the world vineyard, but sales do seem to be showing strong growth. Some growers are adapting biodynamics to the modern era following certain principles, but not others. 
Whatever you make of the overarching belief system or methodology, one unavoidable consequence of farming biodynamically is that the farmer needs to be much more involved in the vineyard, which in itself is a healthier and more sustainable environment. And all of this has to be a good thing where vines and wine are concerned. Finally, as ever, we are featuring one of your questions. So please do keep these coming in. Use social media with the hashtag WineBlast or the website susieandpeter.com. This one comes in from Warren. How do you know when wine is corked? And is there a spectrum along which you can drink the wine versus should not drink the wine? Okay, so the simple answer is that unless you are very familiar with what a corked wine smells like, it's just not easy to be sure. But that's obviously not very helpful uh, when you're in a restaurant and everyone's looking at you for the, the thumbs up. So the first thing to tackle is what we mean by a corked wine. Now, a corked wine is a wine that has been tainted by the chemical compound 246 trichloranosol, or TCA for short. And the most likely culprit, though I should say not the not the only one, but the most likely to harbour that compound and pass it then on into the wine is the cork that stoppers the bottle, hence the term corked wine. But the important question is obviously, what does it smell and taste like? And in very simple terms, a fully, a properly full-on corky cork-faced wine smells really musty, mouldy, actually quite like a damp old cellar. And when you taste it, it will either taste as bad as it smells or it might, it might just seem a bit dull and lacking any sort of fruitiness or, or character. Now, the slight problem is that levels of cork taint vary dramatically. And at the same time, some people are much more sensitive to cork than others. So you could have a very slightly corked wine that no one even notices and you just drink the whole bottle thinking it's not a particularly nice wine. Or it could be that the, the same wine is utterly undrinkable to one person and perfectly fine to the next. So yes, unfortunately, levels of taint do vary, as do people's tolerances to it. However, we should say that drinking a corked wine is not going to kill you. So don't worry if you realise that is what you've done. But our advice would definitely be that if you are in any doubt whatsoever, whether you're at home or, or you're in a restaurant, just open or, or ask for another bottle because life is way too short for corked wine. So that's us for this episode. Thanks for joining us in our wine fueled haze. By way of brief recap for those who may have nodded off uh, or for those who appreciate an executive summary. We are both Pisces. The UK wine and spirit industry is worth £22 billion and employs 358,000 people. And you could be one of them, whether it's a first or second career. 2,500 people work in wine production in the UK and that's expected to rise to 30,000 by 2040, with salaries ranging from £18,000 up to £60,000. Biodynamics may make wine taste better, but cork taint Certainly won't. There's a 4 dollars Italian red at Aldi that is amazing with spicy sausage pasta. And this podcast could change your life. So please, like, rate and subscribe. If you have a great story about how you fell into wine and would like to share it and help inspire others, please get in touch. Or better still, give us a nudge on social media. Remember, the hashtag to use is WineBlast. 
Our website is susieandpeter.com. On Instagram, we are Susie and Peter. On Twitter, she's Susie Barry and I'm Wine Schools. Until next time, cheers.